the risk for type 2 diabetes is quite high. One in three Canadians are at risk for type 2 diabetes, which is kind of nuts if you think about it. Adult Canadians, like you have a, a third chance of developing it in adulthood. Hi, I'm Mary Wong. And I'm Dr. Tanya Wild. We're wellness experts, fertility strategists, and moms who overcame infertility infusing science and all things natural. We are on a mission to boost your mood, your bod, and your inner mama spirit as you navigate this thing called life. From fertility to pregnancy and mamahood through menopause. Think of us as your own personal fertility squad as you make, grow, birth, and raise your baby. Fasten your seatbelts, lean lean in, in, and get ready to learn and be encouraged. This is my Fertology Podcast. So when we did our podcast, Embrace You First, we talked about diabetes, but we need to talk about it again just because it is so prevalent. And this is November. It is Diabetes Awareness Month. And we're going to talk beyond diabetes because really we're all at risk. Do you want to address that, Dr. Tanya Wild? Yes. And stay to the end because we have a challenge for you, a fun challenge that's two weeks long. The risk for type 2 diabetes is quite high. One in three Canadians are at risk for type 2 diabetes, which is kind of nuts if you think about it. Adult Canadians, like you have a, a third chance of developing it in adulthood. And what is type 2 diabetes? Essentially, it's like excess sugar levels that our body can't handle, our insulin can't handle. And so then our insulin often goes up first to deal with it. And we have excess sugar and goes into our fat stores around our belly. So if you start to notice excess weight around the belly, and then perhaps your doctor is saying to you that you have a fatty liver and you're like, what's a fatty liver? That sounds scary. It's usually one of the first signs of being insulin resistant, which is the precursor, the thing that happens before getting type two diabetes. And why are we all getting this? Why, what's going on? Well, yeah. And, you know, and what we, I love that you say this because there are people that are definitely more susceptible. It may be a genetic disposition or if you have polycystic ovaries. But that said, it goes way beyond that because unfortunately, if you haven't noticed already at the grocery store, everything's packaged. Like it's hard to find anything in its pure form these days. Right. Right. So not only we are we not physically hunting animals, or maybe there are hunters listening, but, you know, so we're not doing the physical work to get our food, to farm our food. We're going to a grocery store and then there's sugar abundant, like, like abundance, like it's really hard almost to find something that doesn't have sugar in it. Mm-hmm. And, and they recommend that for children, the total amount of sugar intake be no more than 15 grams of sugar a day, which is like three teaspoons or a tablespoon equivalent. And for adults, 25 grams, which is five teaspoons of sugar a day. And that doesn't include fruit, but everything beyond that, anything packaged. And if you think about it, you pick up you know, a, a drink at Starbucks, you're getting like, in some cases, 40 to 60 grams of sugar right there in one drink. Yes. And you would never know it. And it looks harmless because it's a drink and it goes down so well. And then how about juices and juice boxes? 
Yeah, I mean, right there. You're done for grams. Yeah, ex- yeah, absolutely. So the funniest thing is that juice boxes or juice used to be on the Canadian Food Guide as acceptable as a fruit option, as a fruit and vegetable option. And they it was only in the last few years that they changed it to not include juices. So, oh, I did not know they changed it. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a much healthier food guide now, recommendations. It's more balanced plates and they took off juices as a fruit and vegetable mm-hmm. option, which is quite outstanding because if you drink a little juice box, that alone is like 15 grams of sugar right there. Yeah. Like and it is so, it's so tough because, you know, you're, th- you're thinking, oh gosh, you know, I cut out the soda pop. So I'm good. I'm, d- I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to have juice. And little do they know, unless you actually read the packaging with the ingredients, which we, Dr. Tanya and I both really recommend uh, that you do look at the packaging and, and the ingredients list because it's like you just have no clue. You're like, you're thinking you're being super healthy and it's like, oh crap. Right. So it's sometimes information overload too, right? You look at a package and you're trying to interpret it. If you're not in our industry and very aware of this stuff, you're looking and you're like, okay, protein, carbohydrates, sugars, fiber, net carbohydrates. Like there's just so many elements to a package. What you're looking at is literally what, how many grams of sugar under the carbohydrates. And then you're also looking at the ingredient list. So you're trying to buy foods that have the least number of ingredients. That's helpful because it means, you know, less uh, preservatives and more healthy, but then also see if sugar is in the top three. If sugar is in the top three ingredients, it's probably not a healthy product. Mm-hmm. So that's a helpful little tip. Try to, you know, limit how much sugar is in it. But then let's say it is natural sugars and it's lower down. Maybe it is a little bit higher. It's going to be a little bit better, like higher in the list. Uh, sorry, higher in total sugars, but in the, the list of ingredients, it's lower. And may, perhaps it's from fruit sugars. That would be a better option. But the best is eat fruit, <laughs> avoid yes. juice, and then stick to the outside aisles and you know, instead of the boxed packaged foods that are in the inner aisles of a grocery store, try to walk the outside and pick as as long as you're not dairy free uh, or dairy intolerant, you're going for the cheeses and the yogurts. Um, Milk has a lot of sugar. So I'd try to limit that. If you're going to have dairy, go with the cheese and yogurt instead. And, uh, you know, if you look at a a cup of milk, I think it's at least uh, 12 grams or something of sugar. So people don't count that, but it is, that would be counted in the total. And then you're going for your fruits and your vegetables and your nuts and seeds and you know if you if you're sticking to the inside aisles you're not just looking for example if you buy bread bread people think oh it's got no sugar added or less sugar added well bread would be considered a hidden type of sugar because in our body how it breaks down also matters that's a big concept that people have a harder time understanding because they think oh well i don't eat bread i eat you know gluten-free bread Like, I don't eat regular bread. I eat gluten-free bread, so that's okay. Now, is that okay, Mary? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, I find that, you know, the gluten-free breads that it doesn't taste like a hockey puck, they're going (laughs) to actually have a ton of sugar because what are the substitutes? It's completely quick sugars. So, you know, what I see on the ingredients list is top top of – typically potato starch, corn starch, tapioca, 
mm-hmm. powder, you know, all those kinds of things are, are white rice powders and it'll help it to taste better. But unfortunately, it is pure sugar. So as soon as it hits your tummy, like if I eat that stuff, I'll like want to nap immediately. <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing is that rice actually has lower protein than a wheat protein. So if you're not gluten intolerant or recommended by your doctor to avoid gluten and you are still eating bread um, as an option in your diet, if you were to compare, you know, gluten containing bread versus gluten-free bread, the glycemic index and how rapidly that bread breaks down in your body, which then just means like your sugar would go high. It's a lot higher glycemic index for the gluten-free stuff. So people think they're doing a healthier thing by going gluten-free, but it's actually, you just have to be very cautious. You'd want to eat foods in their whole form. So instead of going out for, uh, you know, looking for quinoa bread or, you know, uh, rice bread, eat the grain itself eat whole grain quinoa, not turned into pasta and milled. Sure, it tastes nice because it's, you know, broken down and anything that's broken down and milled tastes better. But it also means that the complex carbohydrate chain, which then breaks down to sugar in our body, it it's like it's a fast breakdown if it's refined and milled because it's already broken down. Yeah. So our body doesn't have to do as much work. We want our body to do work. And we also want more fiber to help slow it down and more protein. So fiber and protein are helpful. Well, and let's just bring it into this practical uh, space because yeah. we, you can be hearing this or seeing this episode and going, oh my gosh, I'm left with nothing. I might as well just have like a, <laughs> a plate of ice. I am, but wait a minute. In Chinese medicine, ice is not good. <laughs> or throw in the right, <laughs> or throw in the towel and go out and get a sugar ridden ridden uh, latte and have your slice of bread with butter and just say forget it. It's too confusing, right? Yes. So, so I think it's really helpful to, like you're saying, break it down and say, okay, well, what can I have that's you know, if let's say you are gluten sensitive, what can I have that's gluten free that is not a bread or a pasta that's broken down in mills. Could you have oats, for example, for breakfast? Or perhaps you're having, you know, a quinoa pilaf, or you're having in, in like brown rice with salmon, or brown rice and beans with salmon with a bunch of vegetables like bok choy or rapini on the side. So it helps to break down what I've been doing with my patients is breaking it down by the week because this. Sometimes they look at me like uh, with uh, a good like they're like, take out pasta and bread from my diet. Are you nuts? Like, yeah, I eat it every because, day. This is this yes. is in my ancestry. I'm Italian, yes. right? Yes, yes, for sure. And so, and you know, it's it's not a matter of taking it out completely, but it's also recognizing portion sizes. So we'll come back to different grain options and how to make it easy and your easier to kind of bring these alternatives into your diet, but. What would be a healthy portion size, do you think, Mary, for pasta in cups or cup measurement in in a plate? Like how much pasta would be a reasonable amount on a plate with a meal balanced with vegetables and Oh, got it. Okay. So I, you know, of course, ideally none, but if you have it, then maybe like a a quarter. Yeah. So a quarter what? Plate or a quarter? 
yeah, so a quarter of the plate or like fasting is half a cup. Half a cup is what they recommend. How many people do you know when they're having Never. a plate of pasta? No. Never. <laughs> right? You Never. know what the question that's going to ask, right? Yeah. yeah. It's it's very infrequent. So if you're going to have pasta in your diet, it's portion sizing or portion controlling that so that your body doesn't go get overwhelmed and then insulin pumps out and sugar goes high. So you can still have it, but have less. And try to make sure that it has fiber in it and it's a whole grain form. That's really so important. My little trick, if you guys mm-hmm. want to hang on to that, I'll spiralize zucchini. And here's the thing. I can only control my husband and my kids so much. So they may be having the regular pasta. Yeah. And so, and the truth and the reality is like, you need a lot of this zucchini pasta before you get full. So what I'll do is like, I'll have this giant plate and I'm still like, mm, I could eat a lot more because it's like a cow. Imagine like cow graze like all day long. Well, I'm not going to sit and eat all day long. <laughs> so uh, I I actually can add, you know, I, I hardly eat pasta to begin with, but if, if they're having pasta and I have it with them, I'll have my spiralized zucchini and then I add in a little bit of their pasta. So I don't feel guilty. And it's like, you know, uh, it's not necessarily by doing things perfect. It's like, how can we decrease it? And you still have joy and you still share in in, in the meal because I am and I grew up as a foodie. Yes. So it's like, I don't want to feel deprived and I still want to have joy as I eat. Right. So it's not complete deprivation and still have joy. Yeah, I think that's perfect. So if you were doing a spinach, chicken, you know, uh, pasta dish, you could cook the chicken and the spinach first. And then for your portion, have half a cup, mix it into the pan fry, you know, like uh, mix it and then throw it into your plate. And rather than the whole meal being made together and then for your husband and daughter you could do the rest as the recipe would call for for example sure. that i mean like you make your pasta and throw it into the entire recipe but for you you would kind of take out a healthy portion of spinach and chicken put into your bowl put in half a cup of pasta then throw it back into the pan oh. like the pan and is that what you mean? No, that is a, a great option. It? But I'm talking about I don't even have the pasta. We make a separate oh, okay. pasta. Yeah. And they'll have their portion. And I actually eat with them the okay. spiralized zucchini. So sorry, spiralized zucchini, which becomes like pasta strings. Yes. 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 Right? yes. Will you have any of the pasta in there though? Will so, you then portion so what in? I'll do is I'll finish my pasta, my my so-called zucchini. pasta, which is actually yeah. zucchini. And yeah. then I'm like, oh, I'm totally not at all so then right. i'll add in a little bit of extra pasta and then i'll okay. feel good about it right like the and actual pasta the actual it. physical yes. pasta that, yeah yeah so yeah, i don't so mix the- my pasta with with the meal itself but you you also hit another point that i think is very relevant and being asian and where we are more for example white rice heavy where we know and we didn't address this yet but white rice oh actually you kind of did but um White rice itself is literally like eating sugar. Yeah. Right? So, so that, again, if you're really kind of uh, wanting to stick with white rice, then portion sizing half a cup as a, as a portion. Or if you want to get even better, because maybe you do have creeping sugars and you're pre, pre-diabetic and you're afraid of get developing type 2 diabetes, you can switch it to brown rice, which still has a high glycemic index, but it's lower than white rice. And apparently refrigerating white rice lowers the glycemic index before you eat it. Like if you refrigerate it and then what? you eat it. Yeah. Okay. That's I a real thing. That. 
Really? Yes. Okay. That is an awesome tip, guys, for all you rice lovers out there. And, you know, 1.4 billion Chinese people are on this earth <laughs> eating rice. So that was a great tip. And the, the my other tip is when we wash the rice, we wash it like a gazillion times. I, I've even, um, and, and the, I think the Middle East, they do this where they take the white rice and they'll um, have it boiled and then they strain it and then they do it again. And the reason being is that you're taking a lot of the starch out of it. Okay. Right. The other thing is mixing half a half. I've been to sushi restaurants where they'll do half brown rice and half white rice in the sushi rolls or if in a bento box, which I like that as well. Um, So it's like half half or brown rice. You you order brown rice. Yeah. Yeah. You say you order ahead and they have a pot going of the brown rice. Speaking of which, I think that, you know, let's let's be real here. We're all so busy and we don't necessarily have the time to cook every single day. And what are we going to do? We're going to get takeout. And I tell you, I've done it all. I do it all the time. And we may feel like, oh, we're being inconvenient asking for special things, but they don't care. It's like, so they scoop less. So let's say I'm actually getting a Buddha bowl and there's a base of rice. So I'll say, hey, can you add more veggies and just like a little bit of rice? And all the time they're like, yes. Sometimes they'll say, oh, I might need to charge you extra. I'm like, go for it. That's great. You know, to get what you want versus just then feeling guilty and bad that you're eating something that you're not supposed to eating. Like there's no point in that. 50 cents extra for vegetables that, you know, allow you to keep your sugars low and feel better. It's like it's a good energy output, right? Like you end up feeling less like a hit, like you said earlier, like if you eat, um, uh, a bowl of pasta then you're just was it bowl of pasta then you're ready to sleep or no is the oh, yeah, any, well any any well, kind any of, of the like carbs, pasta yeah. or bread or white yeah. rice like like literally within an hour i'm gonna want a nap and i'm telling you all this because both my parents have type 2 diabetes which is completely all about their diet and lack of exercise now that my father's gone to hong kong <laughs> My mother tells me her diabetes is so much better because oh. he has less self-restraint and she has to help cook. So now she's eating way better and her blood sugars are better and she's walking Yay. twice a day. So like, it, you yeah. know, the, the, the how, how you eat and how you move makes a giant impact. And we haven't talked and discussed about the movement piece, which is also super, super critical. And um, so I like simple things like, like, so literally what she'll do is she'll have a meal and then she goes for her walk right after, which is way better than eating and then having a nap right after. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that for a second. So what happens when you eat a carb-rich a meal that perhaps is very refined and milled and it breaks down really fast is that your insulin from your pancreas, it's saying, okay, I'm going to pump out and I'm going to help your body deal with that sugar. But if you have a little bit of resistance because you have the genes, the genetics, or it's just such a big load of sugar for your body, the insulin will go really high and then you'll get a sugar low. And that's that feeling that you have when you want to take a nap. So it's like a wrap it in, wrap it out. And then you're like, Oh, I'm tired. And then you want to eat something more sugary. Like when you go to a restaurant, yeah. Like they'll say, would you like bread? And you say, yes. And then you're more likely apparently to then buy dessert, which makes sense. And then they're selling more. So they bring the bread. And so I say, no, thank you. So that I don't remember the dessert. And then I have much higher energy. So people always want, you know, like they'll pay anything to get more energy. 
Well, having less flour products and less sugar will really drive up your energy. It's it's amazing. So it takes a lot of willpower, though, to say no to that delicious white bread with, with the yeah. olive oil and vinegar if you're at a restaurant. And But if I don't get it, I'm less likely to order the dessert so that they say that's a real thing and I didn't realize. Wow. Okay. So I did, I love this these two tips. So, you know, number one, avoiding the bread. But, you know, again, we're not pure. We're not perfect. So no. if, if you and listen, I do know lots of people that come in as patients still tell me that, you know, they go out once a week or uh, to get takeout or actually dine in. So if you can avoid that. But again, maybe have some room. All right, fine. Today I'm going to do this. And then, you know, can you control yourself instead of having like, you know, a whole basket of bread? Can you have like a half a piece of bread? Is that possible? And if not, will you surrender? And if you surrender, can you go for that walk immediately after? Right. Right. It's just all how you manage it to keep yourself healthy and strong and not being perfect. No, going for the walk helps your body use those sugars because now your muscles are using the sugar. And it also helps to make the receptors communicate better with the insulin so the sugar gets used properly. Because if you have insulin resistance from years of high pumping insulin, eventually the, they stop communicating the insulin hormone and the receptors. And so then they yell like, hey, work. And then it's not working. The numbers of insulin goes higher and then the receptors get more damage and then they just don't communicate. And that's when you get diabetes. And a lot of people say, oh, no, my doctor told me that I don't have any risk. My blood sugars are good. And there's this lovely test called the glycated hemoglobin. It looks like HbA1c. And if that number is healthy, you would assume you don't have any risk. But it's interesting because if you actually do a glucose challenge and check your fasting insulin and then your half an hour insulin, one hour, two hour, if the levels spike really high above 500 and sugars start to climb after the half hour, one hour mark, you're not going to see that information just by doing the three month sugar average. You have to do a challenge to really see if you have that risk. If you're really wanting to uncover why you have that post food uh, fatigue and are wondering why you're tired all the time, if perhaps both parents have diabetes, I've seen it so many times. And then when you have that information, doing this like fasting glucose insulin challenge, it's like a two hour one, you now are equipped with the knowledge, oh, like my body's not responding well to sugar. And now I really need to clamp down and and uh, make some changes. So it's motivating to have that information. Have you ever heard of a fasting insulin glucose challenge? Yeah. Um, well, and they do um, glucose challenges. Well, like yeah, even for, for pregnant, um, women. pregnant women, right? But they don't do the insulin. They'll do the glucose. Right. And right. so this test, they look at insulin and glucose. So it's fascinating because your glucose levels might be controlled and well, keeping under, you know, the, the six and or seven at each mark, but your insulin might be overreacting to do that, which is right. then you might see a sugar low at the end. And that's why you're like, oh, so tired. And you just don't see the information without the insulin. So it's helpful to do both. If you're really kind of un- trying to uncover like, why are you always so tired after eating? Could be food sensitivities, but often it's the type of carbohydrate a patient so then, is eating. Sorry, because it's in my head and I can't get, I have to get it out. So do people just request through their physician or do they just not normally do this? So they don't normally do it. Exactly. It would be something that... 
usually uh, family doctors uh, are dealing with acute medicine more often. They're doing clinical screenings, which are very important. Um, One of the best things you can do for yourself is screen, right? Do your pap exams and check for lipids and all that and understand where you sit. Colonoscopies, breast exams, the the works, right? So that's really important. And then they're dealing with acute infections, injuries, and either referring they're prescribing antibiotics or steroids for, you know, bigger things in terms of trying to catch type two diabetes early. It's that quick glycated hemoglobin screen or just a fasting glucose. They might not even do that A1C glycated hemoglobin. So to do a fasting insulin glucose challenge, that's something MedCan might do like one of those corporate wellness kind of screening uh, clinics or sure. an osteopathic doctor. Right. So a lot of people can't afford the MedCan. So I think the naturopathic doctor route is a very good route because a lot of people have their work cover it through their yeah. insurance plan. So, right. you know, DM Dr. Tanya, go go to a lot of holistic health and just ask for it. Right. And, and you can guide yeah, them through 50, this. It's under $50 to do it. It's quite fascinating. And especially patients, because we see a lot of uh, women getting pregnant or we're supporting them to get pregnant. And then once they're pregnant, they might be patients perhaps with polycystic ovary syndrome, and then they're at risk for gestational diabetes. So they're doing the fasting insulin, or sorry, fasting glucose challenge. So they're familiar with that cold drinking the sugary drink to see what their body's doing in response to that. But a lot of people haven't heard of the fasting insulin glucose challenge. And if you develop gestational diabetes, which is diabetes in pregnancy, then postpartum, you're at higher risk for the prediabetes. So to see how you're doing perhaps a year postpartum is helpful if you had gestational and you're managing it while pregnant, gestational diabetes. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. I just hope that you guys aren't overwhelmed by all that we're saying. But at the end of the day, um, you can rewatch this or re-listen. And we have other podcasts that you can go towards that we will put in our show notes, which includes the ones we did before My Fertology, which is Embrace You First. So go ahead, check that out. And we're going to talk more. And um, Tanya, do you have anything else, insights to share before yeah. we talk? Off. Yeah, I wanted to review and give patients options. So, what, what are people options in terms of alternatives? So, and maybe you can help me with this, but I love to recommend breaking it down by the week. So, in a month, there are generally four weeks, except November is five. Um, so, each week, change your healthy carbohydrate that's not a flour, so flour-free carbohydrate, change it by the week. So you're prepared, let's say week one is all about bean recipes. So are there any bean recipes that you like to make that then you would portion size that legume recipe as part of your plate? Um, For example, a white kidney bean salad, or there's dal, or there's kidney beans added to chili. Those are some examples that people don't think about beans as a carbohydrate, but that would be a healthy alternative. And then week two, you can just throw in some ideas if you haven't, you just interrupt me. Um, Week two might be like brown rice recipe. So it's all about alternative, um, again, flour-free options. So well, no, my only comment is to that it's brilliant because, you know, if, especially if people are like buying a canned bean or something, it's like, oh, my gosh, I have all these beans. I'm not going to stick it all in one recipe. So it's, it's also a practicality and financially it's a better option, too, because if you're looking at different recipes for that 
you know, giant can of beans, then you don't waste it, it where right. it gets moldy in the fridge. So that's brilliant. And then the other piece is that it makes it more convenient. So let's say it's your brown rice week. So you just make a whole whack of it at the beginning of yeah. the week. So then you don't have to cook it every single day. It's, Correct. it's brilliant. Mm-hmm. And then you can freeze some. Um, and so, for example, this week I had made salmon for the kids and then I cut the outside. And with that salmon went sweet potatoes and, and, the, and the greens that they didn't eat because they're kids. <laughs> but there was cucumbers on the plate and spinach and whatever. They picked at it. You know how it is. And then I'm just being honest because I do yeah, my best. Of course. But I, I, I yes. recognize that it's this is, you know, like I don't like people think, oh, how do you get your kids to eat vegetables? Well, they'll eat soup and stews and I do my best and you're we're all in this together anyway and then with that salmon I took out the outside and I put it into a seafood chowder with shrimp and then my my carbohydrate um, was sweet potato with the first dish but then it's potato in this seafood chowder so I'm using the leftovers of the salmon. So this is my root vegetable week. And then I had a beet salad. So when I go shopping, I base my recipes around my healthy carbohydrates. And then I try and prep my protein so that it's just fast. Like I just don't have time. It's like, okay, what protein is it? And I'll cook up a pot of brown rice one week, a pot of quinoa one week. My kids don't like quinoa. So the quinoa is for me. And you were saying quinoa for you when we were just talking off screen is it's uncomfortable, right? Like when you eat quinoa. Yeah. I mean, I like, I like the taste. I like the graininess and I like how it can fill my tummy. But at the end of the day, after a couple of hours, I I can get a little, it's hard to digest in my body. And I recognize that it happens for other people. And so I guess one of the caveats is that some of these things that you try may not be something that you have been used to growing up. So you try it as a healthy option and maybe that's when you want to limit it to a certain amount so that your body is not going to completely reject it. Yeah. And um, I think the other piece that is so relevant and important in all of this is that it does require planning. So you right. can't just go off the cuff and say, okay, this week I'm going to do this. It's like you could, might want to sit down one Sunday and just actually figure it out for the month. What grain is it going to be this grain of the week? What, what healthy, yeah, what grain, what root vegetables are you going to buy? Then the next week legumes and rotate through those various legumes. And maybe you'll have the same one for three days and make sure you don't over portion size beans either because you'll get a lot of gas and cramping. Yes. You know, there's a high need of enzymes in your body to break down legumes. And some people have, which we'll talk in another episode, irritable bowel, and they lack those enzymes. And so they can't have high FODMAP, um, you know, carbohydrates. So it's figuring that out as you go. So maybe you might not have a bean week, but so quinoa week, a brown rice week, and or it could be a, a, a multi-grain week and you're doing some oats and millet and buckwheat. And then you have grain-free weeks where you're doing only root vegetables that week. And then your beans... And maybe it's like a nut and seed week the next week. People think of nuts and seeds as uh, fats, but they're high in carbs too. So there's... I, I love this. I And you know, as you say this, I'm like, we should call this the anti-keto healthy diet <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, as a, as a podcast, because it's like everybody's so into this keto thing and yeah. yet they're not necessarily healthy because it works. Yeah. 
you know what happens? They get, I find that keto works very well if you're trying to lose a large amount of weight, but it's not sustainable. And you end up going so low in carbs that you then, you know, binge on something unhealthy like chips. Um, You know, it's really hard to sustain and people know that that's healthier to eat less carb, but they don't realize it's not no carb we want. We just want healthier carbs. Yes. Right. So the balance. Yes. So let's, let's drop this off because this can, we can just go, go on. on at it this for days. So <laughs> totally. we're good at it. <laughs> so hopefully, hopefully those ideas help because we want to challenge you to have less sugar, not just in sugar in packaged foods, but, um, you know, uh, flour and uh, avoiding flour, limiting flour and portion sizing. And we challenge you for two, two weeks for this month, Diabetes Awareness Month, to just push yourself, you know, outside of your box uh, to avoid sugar um, and avoid flour for two weeks. I challenge you. We challenge you, Mary. Do you agree? We're challenging, and I, I challenge you, Mary. Good to okay, do so then that means oh, free sugar free. Oh my gosh. Weeks. Okay, so then we're gonna both go on social media and actually, mm-hmm. you know, um, be accountable. I'll have to like say, okay, guys, day one. Yeah, <laughs> right. Totally Should we do that. Okay, yes. let's do that. Hundred oh, okay, cool. percent. All right. Awesome. So that's what we're going to commit to. So and and so hopefully that you'll join and and like contact us and let us know that you're doing it with us. That'll be awesome because we need motivation, too. At least I do. Totally. I, I, you oh, know, no, you're like sure. perfect. Tanya. No, so. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> My patients motivate me. I'm like, wow, they can do it. I can do it. Yeah. Right. You know? OK. Yeah. Awesome. So if you're listening to this podcast and if you like what you hear and you've learned, please go ahead and subscribe and then make comments and review and rate us because this will help other people hear our podcast because that's why we're doing this to be able to spread the world of health and because that's what it's all about isn't it thanks guys for watching and listening 